0: Good morning, if you're here today, it is good to see you, I know we've got a lot out, there's about a flu going around, and so we've got a bunch of people that uh, have uh, come down with that, so if you are free from that, hallelujah, it's good to be at church, Uh, Randall and Jess, where are you at, come on down, you guys this is Randall and Jess Mosley, uh, remind me of the kids' names here. JJ, Jesslyn, RJ, RJ in the kids' room, and Elise. All right, so we got a crew here. Now, these two just got baptized yesterday. So, you guys. Give them a hand. I just wanted to introduce them to everybody and let you know we've got two new believers here with us. Uh, I've got some material I'm going to give you, a baby believer's guide. We ran out of them, which is a good thing. That means we've had a lot of people become Christians, but we'll get those to you this week and we're going to keep working with you. You guys can go ahead and sit down. But you guys give them another hand. And that's, I got to tell you, it's just a big thing whenever you're a grown adult and you decide, I'm going to seek God first. And I'm going to start making changes as a grown-up that often are difficult to make, right? Uh, We've got another one we want to bring to your attention today. Is Barb in here? Where's Barb? Come on, Barb. You guys, this is Barb. Uh, Barb also made the decision a couple of weeks ago uh, to put Christ on in baptism. She was baptized right after church. But if you missed, uh, we just wanted to make sure you knew that. Uh, You guys give her a hand. Barb, it's good to see you. and glad you're here. Go ahead and sit down. We'll get to that baby believer stuff this week as well, uh, unless somebody unless you got the last one. We'll see. Um, but anytime somebody makes a commitment to follow Christ, guys, we want to make a big deal out of that, because it, it, the, a big deal is made out of it in heaven. Uh, the Bible says every time somebody becomes a Christian, the angels are rejoicing in, in heaven. If, if God says it's good enough to throw a party, we're going to throw a party down here, right? Right. Um, We're in the middle of uh, what's, well, we're about to be starting a new series here called Build uh, here at the Crossings. We just wrapped up, unmistakable, uh, last week we were looking at 1 Peter and spent several weeks in 1 Peter. Now we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit because we are in the middle of a building project here. We actually just got word uh, this past week that we have been approved for our building loan. And so... (laughs) That's good because we've run out of room out here for our children's ministry, and we've got uh, unfinished portions of this building uh, that have just been storage for the last couple of years because we actually don't have the permits to use them yet because we hadn't renovated them. So we are going to be upgrading this facility so that we can better serve this community. Guys, there have been uh, families that have come in here, and when they see we have 25 kids packed in a room like sardines, it's kind of a turnoff. We want to open up more space for all of the kids that we have coming and all the new families that we have joining. We also want more space uh, that we can use uh, in various capacities to serve the community or host events. There's all kinds of good works that we wanna do here at The Crossings uh, that a facility upgrade will help us with. And so we have had the the last bit to seek the Lord and, and just find out, is this what God wants us to do? Uh, we prayed through that. Uh, we talked through that with our members. We had several meetings where we kind of said, is this what we feel like God is leading us to do? Uh, and what we want to do in the sermon series now is just kind of revisit some of those themes. And I want to look at some stories in the Bible that are uh, centered around building Uh, centered around mission, and centered around stewardship. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at that. And the truth is, the Bible says, don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy. That's what Jesus said. Jesus taught that our treasure is to be in heaven. It's not to be in earthly things, but God gives us these earthly things. He gives us these possessions. And our job as disciples and people who are trying to honor God with our lives is to be faithful stewards of the things that God gives us, where we use what we have for his glory. Amen? Amen. Now, we see in our church a lot of people's lives change. It's amazing the stories that come out of the crossings. And by the way, we're a church plant. Uh, We started this church just a few years ago. We have other partner churches around the St. Louis metro area. All of us are building right now. All of us. We got four churches. All four of us are in the middle of building campaigns right now. And the stories that are coming out of what's happening in our congregations are amazing. Stories of life change. Stories of people overcoming addictions. Stories of families being healed. Stories of marriages being restored. Stories about kids who are getting to grow up in stable households where otherwise it wouldn't be stable. We've got plans here to build a rehab center in this area where we're going to start focusing on helping women who are struggling with addictions and hopefully someday we'll move in to helping men as well. Uh, We've got all kinds of things that we want to do and all kinds of stuff that we have plans for But we want to make sure we're being faithful stewards in the midst of this. We want to make sure that we're following the leading of God in our plans. We want to make sure that we're really honoring God with what we're doing. And we're not just kind of winging it or going off into business for ourselves, right? And so in this series, we're going to be looking at these themes. And we're going to look today, starting out in the book of Haggai. If you don't know who Haggai is, uh, Haggai is a prophet. There's a little book in the Old Testament that is named after him. He's a man that God called to a very special ministry at a very special time. If you study the history of the Israelites and the story of God's people, you will know that they had an up-and-down relationship with God where frequently the people of God were getting themselves into trouble and then God was having to punish them to get them back on the right track. And then inevitably, they would, they would get back off track again, and it was kind of this cycle that would repeat itself. Well, when you get to Haggai, this is right after probably one of the worst butt-whoopings God had given the Israelite people. And by butt-whooping, I mean they had gotten so bad in, in their thinking about God that they thought for a period of time it was okay for them to worship other gods even though the worship of these other gods involved things like taking their own babies and sacrificing them in fires. Can you imagine? I'm going to go to church today and burn a baby because that's how I worship this God. God the Father looked at that and said, that is detestable. Those kinds of practices are detestable. And they did a bunch of other bad stuff too. To make a long story short, God allowed the Babylonians to come in and basically rout the Israelites, destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, take all the best and the brightest out of the city as slaves back to Babylon where they stayed for 70 years. After 70 years, God uh, allowed them to be restored where they were allowed to go back to Israel. They were allowed to go back to Jerusalem after this punishment. And the understanding was, I'm gonna restore you so long as you live repentantly. So long as you honor me with your lives. And so they started rebuilding the temple of God that was in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. They started rebuilding the second one. They were going to make it. And then guess what they did? They started working on their own houses. And they started not working on the temple of God. They started putting themselves first and not working on the temple of God. And so what God does is he calls his servant Haggai to speak to the people to address this problem and basically to call the people to repentance. He, God sent a famine on the land, he sent a drought on the land, and then he sent Haggai to explain, hey, this famine and this drought are coming because you're not putting God first. So that's the context, okay? So we're going to jump in to looking at this, and I want to ask us the question, I want us to ask this question, how can we know this is the right time to build? We're going to look at Haggai, and we're going to look at the answers to these questions in Haggai, but I want us to think about our situation. How can we know that this is the right time for us to build? How can we know that this is what we should be doing? Well, there's three ways people in Haggai figured this out. First of all, you've got some notes in your bulletin, by the way, if you want to pull those out. Uh, We provide notes every week. It's got most of the scriptures that we look at on there. We take these notes and we actually use them in our small groups. When our small groups meet, we take the notes and we look at them. We say, how do we apply this to our lives? And that's pretty much what our small groups are. We'll talk more about that at the end. Um, But you've got some blanks in there to take some notes. The first blank is, I can know this is the right time to build when, number one, I'm listening carefully to God. I'm listening carefully carefully to God now throughout the Bible there is a problem with people not listening to God often even God's people don't listen to God in the Bible they inevitably get into trouble now I can say the same thing about me I have not listened to God frequently in my life inevitably when I don't listen to God I get into trouble um I'm going to go ahead and have Mike read Haggai 1, 1 through 3, if he's ready. On the first day of the sixth month, during the second year King Darius reigned over the Persian Empire, the prophet named Haggai gave a message from the eternal one to man named Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son and the Jewish governor of Judah, and Joshua, Jehoshaddak's son, and the high priest. This is what the eternal... The commander of heavenly armies, who was more powerful, even than even the king, has to say. The people say the right time has not come to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Then Haggai, the prophet, spoke the word of the Lord. All right. So here, uh, he's got a message from the Eternal One. Okay, that's God. There's a message from God that needs to be delivered. And how does God choose to deliver this message? In this case, he delivers it through a person. He delivers it through a guy named Haggai. Haggai is what we call a prophet, okay? A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. Now, often whenever you think of prophecy, if you grew up going to church or if you grew up uh, just hearing that word, you might think of future-telling. Like a prophet is somebody who tells the future. A prophet is somebody who makes predictions, okay? Sometimes, about 5% of the time in the Bible, okay? 5% of the prophecy in the Bible is future telling. 95% of prophecy in the Bible is not foretelling, it's foretelling. Or excuse me, it's not foretelling, it's telling. What I mean is a prophet will speak into a situation, A prophet will speak truth into a situation. Won't necessarily predict the future. He'll just say, here's what God thinks about the situation you're in. Here's what God would say. If God were sitting right here, here's what God would say about what you're going through. Here's what God would say about your attitude. Here's what God would say about your action. Here's what God would say about your belief. That is a prophetic ministry. Now, uh, prophecy... When we think of prophecy, we think Old Testament a lot of times. Prophecy was not just an Old Testament thing, if you understand prophecy correctly. Prophecy goes all the way through the New Testament. How many of you guys became Christians because somebody spoke the word of God to you? Raise your hand. Okay, that's 100%. Guess what? There was somebody acting as a prophet in your life because they spoke the word of God to you. They told you what God thinks about a situation. They told you what God thinks about you. They spoke on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is. Now, some people have the gift of prophecy, where it's a supernatural gift. You don't have to have the gift of prophecy to serve as a prophet, though. All you gotta know is God. Like, you can act as a prophet in somebody's life. It doesn't have to, God doesn't have to, like, zap you with the Holy Spirit and just take over and speak to you. Now, He can. He can, and that's probably what's happening with Haggai, okay? That's why it's written in the Bible. But God can also speak through you because you know God's word. If you just know what God is like, if you know what God thinks, if you know what God says about cert- situations that are similar, you can say, this is what I think God would say in this situation. You are acting as a prophet. It says in 1 Peter, we didn't look at it when we were going through the lessons, but it actually says, Peter instructs us to speak to one another like that. Speak as oracles of God. To one another. You need to know God so well that you can speak about what he thinks about stuff because you've spent time with him. Okay, And if you're not there yet, that's okay. That's part of why you need to be in the word of God. So that you can know him like that. And that's something that happens over time. As you get closer to him, as you learn more, you get to where you grow in wisdom. And and as you grow in wisdom, you're able to understand what God thinks and what God says. That's all wisdom is is understanding what God thinks and what God would have you do in any situation, right? Uh, As you grow in wisdom, you can speak on behalf of God. Often, your greatest spiritual growth in your life is going to occur because someone acted as a prophet in your life. God put somebody in your life where they were able to speak his truth into your life that applies to your specific situation. You guys tracking with me? You will grow more as you listen to God's people coach you than you will just taking your Bible and going off on a desert island and being by yourself, just you and God. Why? Because that's how God works. God works through people. God works through ministry of life on life discipleship. Often, it's it's normal. It's normative in the church. That's why we have the relationships that we have. That's why we have the community that we have, because God works through people. In here, he's working through Haggai, okay? Now, not on your notes, but in Hebrews 13, I just want to throw this up there so that you understand that this prophetic ministry is not just some uh, Old Testament thing. This is something that continues through the New Testament. Here's how it works. It says, remember your leaders who, what? Spoke the word of God to you. If someone speaks the word of God to you, what are they they acting as? They're acting as prophets. They're speaking as oracles of God. They're speaking what God thinks into your situation. Right here, the Hebrew writer says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, who acted as prophets for you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders. And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Okay, this is the Hebrew writer instructing the people. There are those who acted as prophets in your life. You need to listen to them and pay attention. Okay, imitate their way of life. Listen to what they have to say. Respect that they have authority in your life. Why? Because God's word has authority. It's not because the people are special, it's because God is using them, right? Haggai's words had authority. Why? Because he's speaking on behalf of God. It's not about Haggai. He's not in charge, but God is. He works for him, okay? That's why you obey, because the man behind the man, the, the, the God behind the man. Uh, how should I respond when somebody comes and says that they have a word of God for me? Have you guys ever had somebody come and tell you that they have a word from the Lord for you, but then they're nuts? (laughs) No, seriously, have you ever had that? I have. I have. Uh, There are some people who believe any thought that comes into their head is God, and he wants to to be shit. You know, really, they just had one too many burritos for lunch. But seriously, there are theologies, guys. There are whole fellowships of churches that basically, okay, let me just, I, grew, I used to live in San Francisco. There was a Pentecostal church up the street from my house, like I drove by it every day. Um, there's a documentary that a filmmaker actually produced about it, and I can't remember the name of it. But it is so awesome. I recommend it to everyone. In fact, we should watch it here at the church sometime just so you guys can see. It is awesome. But it's also crazy. The pastor at that church up the street from me in San Francisco is one of those guys that thought any thought that came into his head was God speaking to him. He had this group of people giving them money because he believed God wanted them to build a spaceship and go to the moon. I'm not even joking. And people were throwing money at this guy. He's not around anymore. The the church went away. But guys, what do you do when somebody comes and says, hey, God wants you to give me some money so we can build a rocket ship and go to the moon? How do you respond? Okay, somebody said no thanks. Yeah, that's probably good. Look, here's what I would recommend. Anytime somebody comes and says, I got a word from the Lord for you, You want to know what God will never do? He'll never contradict his word. He's never going to contradict his word. If somebody comes and says, God has this plan for you, you need to take that word and take it back to the scriptures. And that's what God says in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, not on your notes. You can just make a note of this. It says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. In some versions, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is present and active. There are supernatural aspects to our faith that we will never fully understand. But guys, make no mistake, when you become a Christian, you are supernaturally filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God lives within you. God will help you see sin. He will help fill you with wisdom. He will help you see the world for the way it is. It is a supernatural work that God will do within you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not dismiss the fact that the Holy Spirit is present and active in your life. Do not dismiss the fact that the Holy Spirit can speak through people. Guys, the Holy Spirit can prompt you to speak up or prompt someone to speak up to you. The Holy Spirit can prompt people to give you a word of encouragement or a word of rebuke or a word of correction when needed. Don't stifle that. If somebody comes and says, I got a word that I think God wants me to share with you, don't look at them and dismiss that. That's stifling the Holy Spirit. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. Don't say or fall into the trap of thinking that God can't speak to people. He can. And he does often. Don't quench the Holy Spirit by saying God doesn't work like that. He does. But what you need to understand is you need to take it a step further. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Somebody comes and says, hey, give me uh, some money so we can build a rocket ship to go to the moon. God told me to tell you that. Don't just dismiss prophecy outright because there's a crazy wacko in your life. Seriously. And some of you guys grew up in traditions where your tradition is crazy and wacko. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being straight up honest. Some of the garbage theology that I encounter in church leadership is hilarious. But what's sad is people believe it. There are kooky things that people believe. Why? Because they don't take it back to the word of God. Just take it back to the Word of God. Don't say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecy and say, well, anybody who says they're speaking on behalf of God is just a kook. Don't do that. Take it back to the Word of God. Take it back to the Word of God because God does work through people and God does speak through people and God does have prophets that are active in the world. But guys, what they're saying aligns with the Word of God. It aligns with the values of the Word of God, right? Right? Um, God's going to speak to Haggai, to these people. Here is the word of God that Haggai had for the people in verse 4. Here, now here's how, this is interesting. He poses a question. Guys, often God will ask you questions. Okay, if you ever notice, if you study the, the ministry of Jesus and the conversations that he had with people, often people would come and they would ask Jesus a question. And guess what Jesus would do? he would ask them a question. He wouldn't give them an answer. He'd ask them a question in return that would reframe their understanding of everything. Often God speaks and works through questions. He gets us to reflect. Sometimes God will send a prophet to us that poses such a question. Here, Haggai is gonna ask a question. Uh, And if I'm listening to God carefully, guys, I will honestly answer his questions. I think I skipped that. I will honestly answer his questions. It says in Haggai 1.4, here's the question. Do you think the time is right for you to live in a secure and lavishly covered home when my house still lies in a heap of rubble? Do you think you should have a really, really nice house while you're just neglecting my house? Now, guys, God had restored them from Babylonian captivity. you got to understand, they were slaves for 70 years. These are people who grew up as kids hearing, we used to have this wonderful temple. We used to have this wonderful setup. We were in Jerusalem. We were secure. The, The land had met all of our needs. God met all of our needs, but we were unfaithful. And we started following after other gods. We started doing detestable things. And we lost all of the blessings God had given us because of our unfaithfulness. We hardened our hearts to God and we turned away from his commands and we did our own thing and God punished us because of that. And we're in this captivity that we're in because of God's punishment, but God's gonna restore us. Now, you're the generation that gets restored. You grew up hearing We're in this situation because God was punishing us because of our unfaithfulness. Guys, you want to know why God punishes? Why does God punish? Is it because he wants to hurt you? Is it because he just likes inflicting pain? Guys, the only reason God punishes or disciplines is to get you to turn away from something that's killing you. And turn back to the source of life. It's like with my kids. I, I we we discipline our children at home. Uh, we we spank our kids uh, when they're little. I probably you probably won't get a spanking anymore. Uh, yeah, that, somebody might call somebody. Um, but what I would teach my kids as they were growing up is okay. Why did you get a spanking? Because you told me not to do that. Three times, and I kept doing it, right? Uh, But my kids would articulate to me, you're giving me a little hurt to save me from a bigger hurt. You're giving me a little hurt now to save me from a bigger hurt later. Because I I teach my children, if you grow up to be the kind of person who is rebellious, if you grow up to be the kind of person who lies, if you grow up to be the kind of person who doesn't respect authority, if you grow up to be the kind of person who's selfish and self-centered, here's what kind of life you're going to have. Okay, they understand a little hurt now is redirecting them from a big hurt later. Now, as my kids grow to be adults, it's going to be up to them whether they listen or not, right? But I'm trying my best, and my wife, we're both, we're trying our best to teach them, but we get that from from God, because that's what God is like, too. Here, when we look at, like, a nation, this whole nation got enslaved, this whole nation got punished, that's a big hurt, right? But it's not as big of a hurt as being lost eternally. It's it's not as big of a hurt as never having an opportunity to change, right? Right? And that's what eternity is like. There is no repentance when you're separate from God in eternity. You have now to change, just like they had their lives now to change. And so God is speaking to them, and he's helping them see, hey, you need to rethink your priorities. What got you into Punishment and and trial in the first place. What got you into that terrible situation in the first place is what you need to be turning from. What got you into that situation in the first place was you're not putting me first. And now you go through this punishment, you go through this 70 years, and I allow you to go back to Jerusalem, and you're falling right back into the same habits that landed you in trouble in the first place? I need to redirect this. And so God allows drought and famine to come on the people before he sends Haggai to speak with them. These little indicators that something is wrong, these indicators that God is displeased was a prequel to God sending Haggai to come and give a word to these people. God is warning them. God doesn't want to punish them. God doesn't want a repeat of Babylonian captivity for these people. God doesn't want to be severe. God doesn't take delight in punishing the wicked. He wants them to repent. That's what his heart is. I know that because that's what his word says. She doesn't take delight in any of that stuff. But God is challenging them to look at their priorities. Do you think your priorities should be building a nice house and just not paying attention to mine? Now, let's apply this to ourselves, guys. We've got a building to expand here. We've got dreams about what we want to do with our ministry here. Uh, We've got awesome stuff that's happening uh, throughout all of our churches. Uh, This one is no exception, okay? We have plans in the future to plant more churches. In two years, we're going to be sending another team out. Uh, And our hope is that every two or three years, we're going to be planting another church somewhere. We don't know where our next one's going to be. It's probably either going to be Kansas City. It's going to be maybe um, in Indiana or potentially uh, Cape Girardeau. We don't really know yet. We're looking at a few different locations. We know there's going to be a campus ministry because we plant churches around campus ministries. But guys, that's just going to, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep doing that over time. Uh, we want to expand all of the, the, the stuff we're doing with like um, Wounded Heart or Healing is a Choice or a lot of our Manasseh ministries. Some of you guys are familiar with those. Some of you are not. We do a lot of stuff with counseling and support groups. We help a lot in the recovery community. Okay, so we've got all these things that we want to do. But we really need to look at our priorities and, and just say as a church, are we truly... Putting God first in what we're doing. And I'm talking about our individual members. The problem here in Haggai is that individual members and families and God's people, they really weren't putting God first. They were putting their family first. How many of you have heard that? Family first. Okay? That's an American value. Um, God first is what God would say. God first. What's the greatest command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything. Give him your first priority. If you want to look at the Ten Commandments, the first of the Ten Commandments is, there are no other gods before me. Okay, that means your family's not God, right? Your house is not God. Your your personal well-being is not God. We got to put God first. Guys, we do that as a community as we do that as individuals, okay? Okay. So we need to examine ourselves and just say, am I putting him in first? Also, am I, if I'm really listening to God, I will seriously consider his insight. Uh, I will seriously consider his insight. Haggai continues speaking on behalf of God in verse 5. He says to the people, think very carefully about your choices. You have planted a large crop, but your harvest is small. You have food to eat, But it is never enough to satisfy. You have something to drink, but you are never filled. You have clothes to wear, but they are not enough to keep you warm. You earn a salary, but the money runs out quickly as if there are holes in your pocket. Think about your choices. Think carefully about your choices. Now, God says through Haggai, things aren't going well in your life, and there's a reason why. Things are not going well in your life, and the reason why is you are not putting God first. That's what Haggai says to these people. God is allowing these things to be introduced into your life that are frustrating your plans and that are frustrating your days because you're not putting God first. And he goes on in verse 9. You expected to be well rewarded for all your hard work, but as you see you're getting back almost nothing. As you have brought in prophets, I've blown them away. Notice God says, I've blown them away. I'm the reason your harvest failed. Why? I, the eternal commander of heavenly armies, will tell you why. My house has remained in ruins while each of you has been chasing after your own concerns. Okay, why is that such a big deal? Because that is precisely what led these people to the brink of destruction before it was an attitude. You might look at that and say, that doesn't look like that big of a deal. Guys, your attitude, your attitude determines the direction of your life. If your attitude towards God is, he can play second fiddle to my desire. Guess what? You are going to wreck your life. If your attitude towards God is, I'm not really going to put him first. I'm going to be religious. But uh, where, like, the rubber meets the road, where I'm challenged on things that I don't really want to change or I don't really want to deal with, I'm just going to ignore that stuff. That's not putting God first. Whenever you become a Christian, when you become a disciple and you're baptized, your baptism... What you're saying is that old me is dead. That old me, that old way of life is gone. It's it's done for. That doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle, right? But you're making a commitment to be a new creation in Jesus Christ where you're putting God first. You can't can't be half-hearted in that commitment. You've got to be serious about it. If you're half-hearted in that commitment... Uh, you're not committed. Like, it doesn't work like that. Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, like, either get in or get out. You know, he says in the book of Revelation, God says, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Like, just, it doesn't work like that. You're either in or out. And so here, the people were like, one foot in, one foot out. We're going to play the religious game. We're going to go to temple to worship, but we're not really going to work on the temple because I got my house. And that's more important, right? Need some me time. That, it doesn't work like that. He says you need to be committed. And God tells them he's withheld his blessing precisely because they didn't put him first. But it, guys, it was their attitude that was so alarming here. And God is correcting an attitude. If you have this attitude in you, you need to understand that God is going is to correct that in you. Otherwise, it's not going to go well for your life. And if I'm really listening to God, I will also quickly obey God's will. <coughs> so God is calling for a reorganization of their priorities. This required action from the people we see in verse 8. Haggai says, go up to the mountains. And bring down trees to make lumber and build my house. Do this so I may take pleasure in it and be honored by it. Guys, this was going to take work. Haggai comes to these people. Can you imagine? Has anybody in here ever built a house? Have you ever had a building project? Okay, not many. Um, If you ever do, it is a soul-sucking experience. Uh, everybody I know that's built their own house is all excited about building a house, and oh, it'll be done in six months, and oh, it's gonna be so great. Three years later, they're like, I wish I'd have never done this, right? (laughs) Everybody, uh, everybody, and it's just a big distraction, but it's it's a life, like, if you're building a house, it becomes central to your life to get all that stuff done. Like, you just have to kind of immerse yourself in it, even if you're just telling the contractors what you want. It's, it's a chunk, like it's going to take a piece of your soul. Um, and so these people now are called to build the house of God. They had been building their own houses. What was going to happen for them was they were going to have to reorganize all of their priorities. Now they had probably thought about The the drapes and the shades and when it's all going to be done. And, oh, we'll get it done just in time for the good weather. And and now they're having to go back and reorient everything. Okay, my house has just got to wait. We're going to have a cot in the corner. It's time to start working on the temple. And in order to work on the temple, I'm going to have to go up in the mountains. I'm going to go up and we're going to chop down trees in the mountains and bring down trees from the mountains. That sounds like a lot of work, right? And it was. It was an incredible amount of work. The temple was humongous. Even this second one that wasn't as big as the first one, it was still huge. This is a lot of work. Guys, when God called them to to reorient and start thinking, they they had to change their priorities. They had to change the way they spent their time. They had to change the way they spent their energy. They had to rethink their goals. They had to rethink their work week. Like, it upset their plans. How many of you guys in here are planners and you don't like it when somebody upsets your plans? You don't like that, right? Um, I don't like it when my plans get upset. If I plan my day out, I don't like it when that gets interrupted. If I plan my month out and I've got some goals set, I don't like it when those get interrupted. But God doesn't care. He doesn't. And sometimes he's crazy. Like, He calls you to do crazy stuff. He doesn't care if you like it. He wants you to learn to obey him even when he's crazy, right? You guys have a problem with me calling God crazy? (laughs) Well, he is sometimes. Uh, Just read the Bible. Like, he's crazy. But he's crazy in a good way. Because when he calls you to do crazy stuff like drop everything and quit working on your house and climb a mountain and chop down a tree and come down here and build my house, he's doing a work in your heart. There's a person that he created you to be because there's things that he created you to do and he does not give a crap about your comfort. That's just a characteristic of him is he will call you to do uncomfortable things because there's a work that he wants to do in your heart. And as you learn to do those uncomfortable things in the name of God to honor him, you become closer and closer to becoming like his son. But guys, as you run away from the uncomfortable things, as you run toward the things that you find comfort in that are not of God, you will become less and less like his son. And you will become the worst version of you. And you will not have the life that God wants for you to have. Guys, he wants to bless you. He wants to give you a good life. Jesus came to give you life and and give it to the full. He doesn't want you to go through just kind of making it. Maybe that's where you've been. But he wants you to lean into him. He wants you to be close. And this reprioritization that it will take to get close is going to take work, just like it was going to take work for these folks. You're going to have to be okay with being uncomfortable. You're going to have to be okay with changing your habits and the way you spend your time. You're going to have to reprioritize things and rethink your schedule. You're going to have to do that to honor God whenever God gets in your life. You're not going to stay the same. If you think you can follow God, you haven't been following God, you think you can start following God and just be the same old person. No, you're fooling yourself. It doesn't work like that. You either change or you're not following him. Right? An evidence of true repentance, man, I work with a lot of addicts. I'll tell you, addicts will look you square in the eye and lie to your face. And then get mad at you when you call them out on it and go and tell all their friends what a terrible person you are because you're so mean when you just told them the truth. This doesn't surprise me anymore. I am an addict, number one, but I've worked with so many over the years. I just don't get surprised by it. It's just Tuesday. Like, that's just how it works, right? So-and-so saying I'm mean again to all his friends. Why? Because you told him the truth, right? Doesn't bother me. They'll look you square in the eye and lie to you. And uh, one thing in working with addicts is I don't trust anything they say. If they're an addict. Some of you in here, I don't trust anything you say. Okay? I ain't trying to be mean. I'm just telling you the truth. And I'll tell you to your face. Like, you want to know what I trust, though? What I see. I'll trust your actions. You tell me you're never going to do it again? Okay, I don't believe you. Seriously, like I, what I will believe is what I see. I will believe what I see. That's, that's the truth. And uh, this is the same of repentance, guys. If you say you repent, you want to know how it's going to show up? It's going to show up in your obedience. And we know the people of God and Haggai repented precisely because it showed up in their obedience. In Haggai 1.12, Then Zerubbabel, Shealtel's son, Joshua, Jehozadak's son, and the high priest, and all those who had returned. Look at this. They obeyed the voice of the Eternal, their true God. They took seriously the message brought by the prophet Haggai. They proved their repentance by their deeds. Now, this is what Paul would call people to do uh, whenever he was preaching in, in the book of Acts is Paul would go and he would preach people to turn to God, repent and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. The Proof's in the pudding. You say you've repented, it's going to show up in how you live. If you say you repented, but then it doesn't show up in your action, you're just, you're just lying. Just, it's just the truth. You're lying. It shows up in your actions. We have um, believers that, that come in here sometimes and will become Christians but then they won't really change. And that's not evidence of a real conversion. That's just evidence of you just being religious, man. And honestly, that is just a waste of your time and everybody else's time. Get real. That's what God's calling us to do. We need to get real. Um, I like the way it it says this in the NIV. I'll throw this up on the screen for you. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Is that up there? (laughs) Did I not put that in the notes I sent you? I'm sorry. I meant to. Um, It says uh, that that last line is the people feared the Lord. Uh, It says in in the voice here that they took seriously the message brought by Haggai. That's the same understanding. Guys, if you fear the Lord, when God puts somebody in your life that speaks the word of God to you, you listen to them. That's evidence that you take seriously what God has to say. If you don't listen to them, if you just dismiss what they say, or if you come up with a bunch of excuses as to why what they say is wrong and you're not even really paying attention, or look, at you're you're not taking God seriously. Let's just be real about that. If God puts people in your life that love him and are seeking to honor him and you just refuse to listen to them, the truth is you don't take God seriously. Period. And there's nothing anybody can do about that except for you. But you may not have made that connection before. You know, you may be thinking, oh, I'm just not taking that person seriously. No, you, if God has put people in your life that love him and you know they love him and they're coming to you to serve you with a message from God for you and you just poo-poo on that, That is not evidence that you are a person of faith. That's evidence that you don't take this stuff seriously. But on the flip side, when you take it seriously, you're going to make changes. You're going to obey. You're going to listen. And that's why we know the people in this book Of Haggai took this seriously. When God sends Haggai to give these people this word that messed up their whole work week, messed up their whole schedule, messed up their whole set of priorities and plans. He just messed it all up. But then they listened and they repented. That's evidence of a soft heart. That's evidence that these people really were God seekers. Because they listened, they obeyed. And we're finishing renovations on this physical building because we believe that this is God's will for us right now. We believe that God wants there to be a stable and healthy church here in Collinsville that is doing the things that we are doing in the name of God to serve people because God loves people. We believe that. And we want to continue to be a group that responds to his word. Secondly, I can know this is the right time to build when number two, I'm uniting around God's purposes. I'm uniting around God's purposes. In Haggai, as the people obeyed together, they found themselves becoming more and more united together because they, were, they had the same mission. <laughs> it says in 13 through 15, on the 24th day of the sixth month, which was King Darius' second year, Haggai, the messenger of the Eternal One, received this new message from the Eternal One and shared it with the people. I am with you. And the Eternal One rallied the spirit of Zerubbabel, Shealtel's son and Judah's governor, the spirit of Joshua, Jehozadak's son, and the high priest, and the spirit of all those who had returned to Jerusalem so that they came together and began work on the house of their God, the eternal commander of heavenly armies. Notice it says here that God rallied the spirit of the people. Uh, Many of you in here have probably never experienced this. But if you get together with a community that's really seeking God, and you are in step, you believe with the spirit of God, and you guys are going out on mission together, and you start to see God do things through what you're striving to accomplish, there is a rallying that takes place through God's Spirit internally that is awesome to experience. I remember uh, from my days with with the campus ministry. uh, Man, we had such a fired-up group of college students. We used to go hit that campus at USF. Man, we would go worship out in public. Uh, We were doing Bible studies. Like we were doing all this stuff just like out in the open. And man, we started seeing people become Christians. And as people became Christians and came in and were sold out, we baptized a bunch of kids like in a semester. And we just had this group of of sold out disciples and there was just something about the spirit of that group man we were young we were immature we didn't know jack but we knew god was good and we wanted to tell people about him and we just went out and did it man it was crazy we had no clue what we were doing but there was a spirit in that community that was just amazing life-changing and contagious it was awesome and God wants you to experience that as you become part of a community. And as you get closer, man, if you really know this community and these people you're walking with are seeking God and we're going out there and we're making a difference in the community, we're sharing the gospel with people. We're talking with people about how God is working in our life and how we're changing and how we're getting over stuff and how we're dealing with garbage and how relationships are being healed and and, and all this awesome. Come, come with us. Come on, come on. Man, there's just an awesome presence of God that is part of your life when you know you're, you're, you're accomplishing His mission in the world and He's working through you. It feels really good. Uh, you know, it, there, there's no greater high than, than just knowing God is working through you in this moment. He's helping this. There's none better than that. If you've never experienced that, man, it's amazing. The people here in Haggai are experiencing that. As God is supernaturally stirring up the spirit of these people, as they're working together, and make no mistake, guys, God's next move for them was work. That's why it says in 2 uh, 4, this is God speaking again through Haggai. Get to work, Zerubbabel. God is speaking. Get to work, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Get to work, all you people of God. God is speaking. Yes, get to work, for I am with you. The God of angel armies is speaking. God stirs up their spirit, stirs them up, fires them up, and says, now go get to work. Get out there and get with it. The God of angel armies is telling you march. Get out there and build the kingdom. Get out there and get to work. And in their context, their work was to build this temple that was going to house the presence of God. It was going to be a beacon to the rest of the world that God is present. God is here. God is among you. God wants to make contact with you. It was going to be a place where people could come and they could they could. They could meet God. They could meet him in prayer. They could meet him in worship. They could meet him through sacrifice, right? That's what this was. Now, it said a little bit earlier that this this temple that they were building was actually going to be more magnificent than the old one. Now, if you go study the history of uh, the temple, you will know that physically the second temple was not more magnificent than the first one. It was not better. It was smaller. It didn't have as many precious metals. It wasn't as cool. But God says, no, the second temple is where it's at. The one that they were rebuilding here. You want to know why? Because the second temple is the one that Jesus was going to come to later. By by the way, the whole Bible is about Jesus. If you didn't know that, that's what it's about. When when Jesus came along and, and in his teaching... You know, he would say things to the Pharisees like these, these guys who knew the Bible. Say, you, you sit around studying the scriptures. You memorize them. You don't even realize they're all talking about me. That's what Jesus said about himself. And if you look at the story of the Bible, the whole thing is either pointing to Jesus or it is directly about Jesus or it is pointing back to Jesus or it is pointing forward to Jesus coming back. It is a Jesus-centric book. It is a Jesus-centric story. And God knew that this second temple was going to be greater. It was going to be even more of a place of peace, even more of a place of glory, not because of the physical structure, but because of Jesus who was going to come and be in that temple and be part of that temple. By the way, the Old Testament predicts the Messiah would come to the temple We know, one of the reasons we know Jesus was the Messiah is because he went to the temple. Guys, you know there's not a temple now in in Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed in the first century. There is now a mosque on top of the site where the temple was. There is no temple for the Messiah to come to now, okay? But Jesus went to the temple when it was existing. Jesus is... The king of the universe. That is the essence of the gospel, is Jesus is in charge. He is cosmically in charge. Uh, he has control and authority over every aspect of creation. He is responsible for creation. But not only that, guys, he also provides us a way to have our sins forgiven, and that was what he did for us in his work on the cross. Um. We take communion every week here at the crossings. I've got a passage of scripture that I want to read. This is Jesus. He says uh, in Matthew 20, 26 28, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I came into the world not for the world to make a big deal out of me, not for me to sit on a throne and rule. I came to the world to serve. And what he says to us is, I set an example for you. I was selfless. I put the needs of others first. I put God first in all things. And I loved people in a way that made a difference in the world. I spent my energy helping and serving others. I was tempted to sin, but I never sinned. I set an example for you in all aspects of life. And if you ever say, I can't, I want you to know you can with my help. That's what Jesus says. That's what he models for us. You and I have a chance at being right with God because of Jesus. Without him, we didn't have hope, right? We have a chance because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin onto himself. He gives us his righteousness. He took our death onto himself. He gives us his life. He took our darkness onto himself. He gives us His light. All we have to do is follow Him. All we have to do is submit to Him. But there are things in your life that are keeping you from submitting to Him. There are things in your life that are keeping you from following Him. There are things in your life that need to go. Part of why He gave us communion and told us to do this every week is because before we take communion, He calls us to examine ourselves. Is there something in my life that is keeping me from being the man or the woman that Jesus is calling me to be? Is there something in my life that needs to go? Is there an attitude? Is there a habit? Is there uh, some kind of addiction? Is there some kind of selfish proclivity or or something in me that needs to go? We're going to take communion this morning um, as we think about being united around God's purpose. Uh, I want you to just examine yourself this morning as we take communion. And guys, is there anything in your life that is holding you back from being fully committed to Jesus as the Lord of your life? Your communion time is a time to reflect on that and a time to make, make changes if need. Guys, if you need help, you need to talk to somebody. Don't just sit and struggle silently. You need to talk to somebody, okay? Think about that as we pray and and meditate this morning. God, uh, thank you for the gift of communion. Uh, I pray as we take this together, we will remember that this is a time to examine ourselves. And if there's anything that we need help changing, or God, if there's anything that just doesn't honor you, Help us to, to take steps today to rid ourselves of that. And if we, if we need to ask for help, God, help us to do that. Help us to know this is a safe place. If we have an addiction, we can get help. If we have a compulsion, we can get help. If we, if we need counsel, we can get help. Help us to be brave enough to ask for help if we need it. And it's in your name we pray, amen. When we get our hearts right, when we get on mission, when we start walking and step with God, we inevitably get to bless people, because that's what God wants to use us to do. Um, last point here, I can know this is the right time to build when number three, I'm seeing from God's perspective. I'm seeing from God's perspective. Haggai says, are any of you still living who saw how glorious my first house was before it was destroyed more than 60 years ago? How does this current one look now? In comparison to the first, does this one look like nothing? Of course it does. But don't be discouraged. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong. Keep working on it. For I, the eternal commander of heavenly armies, am with you. You will stand by and watch is the magnificence of this new house will eclipse the magnificence of my first house. And in this new house, I will give you peace. That's a reference to Jesus and what was going to come in the ministry of Jesus moving forward. What God says to these people, though, is I've got a bright future ahead of you. I've got a bright future ahead of you. Church, as you follow God and walk in step with him, God says, I got a bright future ahead of you. Crossings Church, God says, as you walk and step with me, as you walk and step with me and are faithful in me, I got a bright future ahead of you. And I believe that. I believe God's going to do some amazing things. I've seen amazing things. I'm looking forward to seeing more amazing things right here in Collinsville. I think God's going to do some awesome stuff. God, as we build here as we meet more people here we're going to see more people coming in and having their families put back together where they've been a wreck we're going to see people getting over addictions guys we're going to see people working through marital issues we're going to see people raising their kids to be godly when before they were raising them to be hellions We're going to see young men and young women take hold of their potential when they thought, because of the way they grew up or because of the messages they believed about themselves, they didn't really have much to give. They had no idea. God's going to tap into their potential and He's going to show them. He's going to give you bigger dreams. Some of your dreams have been too small. God's got big dreams. He's got big plans. It says all through his word, guys, when we seek him first, he's got these plans to bless us and prosper us and give us a hope and a future and, and, and bless others through us. Man, he's going to do that here. But that's only going to happen, guys, if we get our hearts right first. If we put him first, we get him right in our hearts and, and how we relate to him. That's how we get to see all these other things moving forward. And as we think about this building, it's going to cost money. We're going to be talking about stewardship moving forward. It's going to cost a lot of money. But guys, we're, we're going to take care of it. God's going to make a way. And a lot of this, it's, as long as we put him first, let me just read this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.7. The path we walk is charted by faith, not what we see with our eyes. What's God going to do with us in the future? I don't know specifically. I know some things. I've got some ideas. But I can tell you what, regardless of what God does, our job is to walk by faith, putting him first, giving him our first loyalty. That's what faith is. It's loyalty. It's allegiance. We give him our allegiance and we walk forward in faith, trusting that God is going to take care of it. Guys, as we get ready to to get started on construction, uh, we're going to have just a period of time where things are going to be dusty and things are going to be disheveled. Um, I want us all to remember, though, it's not about a building. All this stuff we're talking about, it's not about a building. It's about God and it's about people. We're upgrading a building, why? Because we want a building? No, because we want people. Because God loves people, and God loves you. If you're here this morning and you're struggling, uh, there's a, uh, whether you're struggling or not, we want you all to respond. There's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin, if you could please pull that out. If you are struggling this morning, Uh, I want to encourage you not to just sit on that. If you need help with something, you're in a safe place. You can ask for help. You can get help with all kinds of stuff here. Guys, we've got resources for addiction. We've got resources uh, for marital counseling. We've got resources uh, for, you know, if you're struggling in your family or if you're struggling with uh, just some kind of hurt that you need help with. Guys, we have people here who have struggled with the same thing. I can guarantee you. Uh we've got resources for folks who have dealt with childhood sexual abuse. We have support groups for women who've had abortions. We have help for people who've gone through divorces and all the hurt and fallout that comes through that. Uh, We've got help with people that struggle with pornography addiction. We've got help with people that struggle with anger and losing their temper. Um, We've got small groups, which is a big part of what we do here, is our small group ministry. Guys, you're in a place in a a community of faith where we really believe strongly in putting God first and then ministering to one another in a way that is uh, is biblical and healthy. And so if you are needing help with something, guys, that's why the church is here. It's not just a social club where you come and kind of rub elbows with people and, and tell people a lie when they ask you how you're doing. That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is a family. The church is where you can come and you can talk about your mess. And you can get help with it. The church is a place where you can come with a bad attitude and somebody's going to say something to you about it. Not because they're uh, being mean, but because we want to help. Right? We speak truth to one another. Um, If there's any way we can help you, please indicate that on the card. If you just want to connect, if you just want friends man, you're in a good place. You were designed to need that. Did you know you'd need friends? Some of you introverts are like, I do not. (laughs) You do too. Um, Man, this is a great place to make some really good friends. We've got uh, all kinds of things that we do that aren't like church activities, just hanging out, man. You need people in your life that you can hang out with that aren't going to be bad relationships for you. You know what I mean? Um, people that are going to be positive influences. This is a great place for that. It could be as simple today as just going out to lunch with somebody. If, you're, if you don't want to fill a card out, okay, fine. Go eat with somebody. Uh, find somebody that will buy your lunch. I'll bet you can. Do it. Go for it. But anyway, seriously, though, I want you guys to connect. Um, I'm going to let you read that card and fill it out. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing a song that's going to give you an opportunity to fill the card out. Then we'll sing one more song after that and pass some baskets, and you can drop your card in that basket, okay? Uh, Let me pray for us. God, thank you for bringing us together today. I want to thank you that we got approved for that building loan this past week um, and that we're going to be able to upgrade this facility. And I just pray that our hearts stay right, Lord, where we don't get distracted by this facility. Because... You don't care about buildings, you care about people. So just help us to see this building as a tool and uh, approach it like that, remembering that we need to be faithful with the stuff you give us. And so we want to be faithful with this facility. Help us to continue focusing on making disciples and bringing people that are lost into relationship with you. Bless our efforts in that. Bless our spooktacular that's coming up next week. God, help a lot of people to show up, not because we just want a lot of people to show up, but because we want to make some new friends. Friends, preferably that don't have a relationship with you so that we can share you with them. Help us to be purposeful in our lives and in in our church, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.